Welcome to Songs and Stories, the Not For Musicians Only music podcast. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is podcast number 12. This is going to be another interview podcast, and I think you'll like this one. Uh, A number of weeks back, I got to sit and talk with singer-songwriter Paul Thorne when he was in Santa Cruz for a couple of back-to-back shows. And I actually interviewed Paul when I was writing for the Santa Cruz Sentinel oh, 10, 12, 13 years ago, and did a piece on him. And, And back then, he'd really just broken big on KPIG radio locally here and um, was getting a real big following in Santa Cruz and Monterey. And as you'll hear in this interview, it was really the first area of the country where there were throngs of Paul Thorne fans. And really, he had a great big following and he, he talks very fondly about that. And he also talks about the the late Laura Ellen Hopper on this show who who we'd, we'd lost um, shortly before this interview. She actually what kind of was K-Pig. So he talks a lot about Laura Ellen and what she did for his career. If you're not familiar with Paul Thorne, uh, you know, if nothing else besides being a great songwriter, he's just got a heck of a backstory. He was raised the son of a Pentecostal preacher in Tupelo, Mississippi, so he spent a lot of time as a kid singing in churches and tent revivals, and music's always been a part of his life. As an adult, he was a boxer for quite a few years, fought Roberto Duran at one point, and was eventually ranked the 29th best middleweight boxer in the world. So he has a lot of life history to draw from in his songwriting. I think part of the appeal of Paul is that he he writes songs, he writes these great broken-hearted, sensitive love songs, and he also writes really funny songs. He might do a song live like, you know, Where Was I When You Stopped Loving Me?, and then he'll follow it with something, you know, goofy like Viagra Falls. So he, as a live performer, he's a great storyteller, got a great body of work. When I talked to him in Santa Cruz, he was doing two shows back to back, like I say, and one was a solo show, and then one was followed by a full band show. And many people like us stayed for both, because if you've seen Paul Thorne solo or with a band, they're really kind of different shows. I want to remind you before we get started here that um, if you go to my site, www.michaelgaither.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R, there are notes to go with this podcast. Look for the section for Songs and Stories number 12, and there'll be links to Paul's site, um, a site where you can hear some of Paul's music, as well as the the Santa Cruz Sentinel article that I wrote for about Paul several years ago. So let's um, hear a little bit of Paul Thorne. I'll give you an example of two sides of Paul Thorne. We'll hear... Uh, a fu- kind of a funny song, and then kind of a sweet song, and then we'll go into the interview from last June at Columbia Jazz Center in Santa Cruz, California. I borrowed some money and sold my car. I put an airspeed trailer. Up on blocks That satellite dish Was my first mistake She started watching Oprah Winfrey And Ricky Lake She cut me down To once a week At supper time There wasn't nothing to eat I was paranoid And scared to death She came home With aqua velvet On her breath 
same day I pretended I was an astronaut on the playground monkey bars. I flew above the stars. I was in a Dallas disco the night John Lennon died. The DJ played Imagine and everybody cried. I remember a thousand lighters held up in our hands. Oh, we were saying was let's give peace a chance. You've had a busy, busy few days. You came and you flew in and played Reno last night. Uh, played Reno last night. That's right. And where did I play the night before that? Rancho Nicasio. Oh, in, up in the Bay Area. In Marion County, yeah. That's a nice little club. Real nice. I had a good yeah. time. And it's, it's not, good. and it's not you're doing two shows. Yep. Uh, t- doing two shows is not one of my favorite things, <laughs> but I'll do it. It's just hard to... It, it's hard enough to get a rhythm and a flow going in one yeah. show, and then then uh, you have to do it again. Uh-huh. And then you, when you have to do a second one, you you really hope that it's a whole different group of people. For the people that might not know Paul Thorne, how did you go from working in a chair factory to being a professional boxer to writing songs like "I Have a Great, I Have a Good Day" every now and then? How, what was? Well, was, I can't really give you every detail yeah. how that happened, but just. Um, but going back to the music is just simply because um, after all that I really grew up singing in church mm-hmm. and I've been around music all my life and that's probably where I'm most uh, uh, comfortable and probably where my true talent lies and luckily I've been able to get back to it yeah. and, uh, and make something with it luckily and you pretty much been singing your whole life, first in church and then mm-hmm. kind of circling around it while you were boxing and doing everything else. Mm-hmm. Yep, but singing is what I've always done. I've been singing in church since I was three. Mm-hmm. So I've always felt comfortable up on stage. I didn't, uh, you know, when I boxed, I got pretty good at it, but I never had that same confidence in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> It's a whole different thing. Yeah, know? and we actually talked quite a few years ago when I did an article for the Sentinel. I think you said you were good, but you weren't great. That's right. And so you got out with your faculties intact, and yeah. Luckily, I had something else I could follow back on. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of boxers keep on doing it because they don't they don't have any other mm-hmm. thing they can do. No choice. Yeah. Or no options. Um, as far as influences, I mean, there's a lot of obviously there's a there's a lot of blues in your song, a lot of R&B, and a really funny side. What are some of your sort of songwriting influences? Uh, well, songwriting influences, I would probably say uh, uh, people like Roger Miller. Okay, story songs. Story, really, Roger Miller, you know, Chris Christopherson. Those are the people that uh, write very little filler. Mm-hmm. Most of the things they put out... Uh, there's something to it. Yeah. 
try my best to emulate that. Don't write a ton of songs, but write a few good ones. Yeah. You write, write just write the keepers. Mm-hmm. Just write the keepers and and just try to know the difference. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, your new CD was kind of a departure, which I really liked it. Um, Are you with yeah. me? Yeah. I talked to Billy. I think when you were at Strawberry last time and. He said it was your muscle, your Muscle Shoals album because it was a lot. Because there's a lot of R and B influence in your music, but this one was really R and B. Yeah, yeah. It was. A, we wanted to do a record on my last studio album of you know that was uh, maybe a little. I hate to use the word, but it was actually a little bit slicker than what we normally yeah. do. And it had horns and and you know backup female backup singers and all that. And I'm very proud of it. And uh, a lot of people uh, when they got it, they either hated it or they loved it. Yeah. And, you know, the, my diehard fans who want to hear me sing, you know, burn down the trailer park and those kind of things. Falls and yeah, they, they, they didn't get it. Uh, but I did, but I am happy that my, it's, uh, I finally cut a record my mother-in-law liked. <laughs> that's you know, important. That was important. That's a, yeah. Trust me, that's very important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was a bit of a departure and, uh, some of my, supporting stations actually wouldn't play it yeah. because it was just too beyond what they were used to me uh, doing but I'm cool with that uh, they uh, I, I have res- I respect people for 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 you know their opinions and everything yeah. but it's in the past now and so I'm looking forward to uh, yeah, my new record coming out which uh, we're almost finished with good what's the new record like is it more like the the, the, the stuff the Keith audience is used to or is it Probably. Yeah. Somebody's no, like, hey. I have to show Sherry the job. Oh, you and your interview. <laughs> That's all right. But anyway, Sherry. Yes. This is it. Okay, we're going to go do two well, sounds. All right, well, we're glad we got to look at y'all for a minute. You're going to be on my website. I'll, all right. I'll give you extra coffee at the Thank studio you. next appreciate time. appreciate that. Oh. All right. All right. <laughs> Wonderful hospitality. What were we saying? Um, the next CD is going to be more like what the K-Pick audience Well, yeah, but probably, but I... I didn't go back and say we're gonna we, gotta, we gotta do something to get back on K-Pig. No, no. I didn't do that. We just, I just, um, what I did with, on that record, like I said, was something I wanted to do. But now I'm just gonna, uh, it's it's gonna go back to probably being a little bit more raw. Yeah. You know, unrefined sounding. You and they know. both work. I think with the new, I, I think the first time I heard the songs on your new album was, I think it was a Strawberry. This last time you were, you were doing that, that, that closing, that headlining set of Strawberry. And yeah. And I thought, wow, these are all great. And they, when you hear them live, they sound like they all sound like Paul Thorne. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. And then, but on the CD, I like the fact that it was something different. I like people. Well, good. I appreciate that. I yeah. appreciate that. Did that album bring you more a different fan base, or kind of open you up a little bit? Not really, to no. be honest. We, my fan base kind of stayed the same. Yeah. I, I would say, man, it really actually grew a little bit. But, uh-huh. the, but the type of album I did was actually an album that would really need to be marketed in a mainstream environment mm-hmm. to have ever you know which I don't have that with uh, a big machine behind with it. a big machine behind it which at this point in my life that doesn't exist uh, I'm not really sure I would even want it to really yeah. at this point because uh, you know in an age of American Idol it's all so fickle you know that I just really like kind of like to keep doing it by myself actually and this way you have control of it too yeah and I, I, I keep that philosophy because 
my my audience continues to grow every year. Good. So that's as long as it's doing that, that's all I can ask for. Good, yeah. good. Speaking of Cape Pigo, you know, we, we lost somebody very important a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. when did you first meet Laura Allen? And kind of what did Cape Pig do for you? Oh, uh, well, Cape, you, you immediately became like a favorite on Cape Pig. Yeah, Cape Pig was the first station that really uh, supported me. Yeah. Really, and uh, I had an album that came out. My first album came out on A and M. It's called Hammer and Nail. And when the record came out, uh, the record company did absolutely nothing to promote it, and he just kind of died. Mm-hmm. But uh, through some fluke, uh, Laura got a copy of that album, and she liked it, and she started playing it, and and uh, she she was pretty large largely responsible for putting me on the map, really, as far as on radio because you know KP is a, a station that a lot of other stations try to emulate their playlist mm-hmm. so I had a lot of radio airplay come and a lot of or doors open up to me because of Laura no yeah. qu- ain't no question about it yeah. and I've heard a lot of a lot of songwriters tell that same story about her I think mm-hmm. Nancy from the Trailer Park Troubadours said they were going to they were going to toss it in yeah. and she started playing it and said yeah. it open for Robert O'Keefe <laughs> you know, that's they, right you know. I, well I like Laura a lot and uh, you know going back to what I was talking about my, my, my record that was kind of a muscle shows uh, R&B thing she, uh, as big as a supporter of mine as she's been, she she did not, she would not and did not play that mm-hmm. record, record because she just didn't feel like it fit in her format. And I, and that's although that stung a little bit mm-hmm. in the end, I understood it and I understood that she is a she's not a yes man and for anybody, yeah. and she's true to her heart. And so I'm just thankful that she took some of my stuff and played it. And I actually uh, respect her for that decision she made to not play my that one record. I I, I really don't. I'm actually kind of glad in a way. Yeah, she stuck to her guns. She did, she, and that's uh, that's why she that. that's why she was who she was. You were at the Rio a few years ago, and you sang. It's a great day to whoop somebody's ass. Yeah. And this little kid walked down to the front of the stage and mouthed all the words. Did you yeah. know that ahead of time? I didn't know nothing about <laughs> that it. That was hilarious. I didn't know nothing about it. And uh, he made, I think he got up on stage. I think he did afterwards. He yeah. got up on stage and sang it with me. And, I think and, he uh, stopped and started laughing in the middle of it. Too. <laughs> I, I think, I, yeah. But yeah, he uh, got up and sang with me. And that was kind of cool. And, uh, the crowd loved it. Of all songs for a little kid to sing along with you. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they do play that song a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's a goofy song, but it, uh, I figured out it. I guess it does have a, a, a meaning to it. A lot of people can relate. Everybody's yeah. felt like everybody, even though it's a funny song. Yeah. Everybody's felt that. Oh yeah. Someday. Yeah. <laughs> That's but you, true. And but people ask me to describe your music. In fact, what I like about tonight is. I really enjoyed taking people to Paul Thorne for the first time and seeing yeah. their reactions. We have a couple of friends at Night that have never mm-hmm. seen you before. And mm-hmm. I always say it's you do songs that make you laugh and songs that make you yeah. cry. Because you'll do a song like that over Agra Falls, then you'll yeah. do Give Them Their Roses and everybody's crying and, yeah. and smiling. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's a very yeah. cool thing. Well, one, the, where I got that from was uh, when I was a kid, I used to, uh, we had a TV show, a TV, a black and white TV with like only three channels and one of the shows we like to watch was the Dean Martin mm-hmm. hour and what I liked about him and I, I realized I'm actually kind of influenced by Dean in, in this sense he he would come out and he'd do a he'd come out and he'd tell a joke or something and then he might go into a very serious love song or mm-hmm. something and then right after he'd do that he'd go back to 
talking about something and just telling a joke and just keeping it all real lighthearted mm-hmm. and making the crowd and, and the TV audience feel like they were just sitting there together. And I like that. And I think it's one thing to get up and sing a song, but if you can have a conversation with the audience and make them feel like y'all are collaborating and having a moment, then you really got something uh-huh. good going. It makes for a better show. And I think for this, you know, whether you call it Americana or whatever, I think the idea of being able to see performers that talk to the audience and talk about their songs and don't mm-hmm. go through like the usual patter like talking about American Idol, I just think yeah. it's just a better, it's, it's more real, I guess. It's, it is. It is. And uh, I owe a lot of what I do to, you know, growing up watching my dad preach and how he worked the crowd. And mm-hmm. could, could, it's part of being it. Preachers also being an entertainer, right. you have to be able to hold people's attention. So I've had a lot of good mentorship, you know, and, you know, watching the Dean Martin show and things like that. <laughs> it's all it all ties together, yeah. strangely. For yeah. me, it was Red Skelton, but I've, I've seen same you. deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, same deal. Real genuine, real. I like my show. I would I would like in a perfect world for my show to be like a variety show. Mm-hmm. You know. Kind of like, remember those artists like uh, Glenn Campbell? Oh, yeah. He's a, Glenn Campbell was an, was an awesome singer, had great songs, and you know played the guitar great, but he was also lighthearted and mm-hmm. did little skits. Yeah. That, yeah. Those kind of things are gone now. Don't you, think? Yeah, we could do a few songs and have the guy with the spinning plates come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I would love for that. I would like to evolve my show into that, yeah. Yeah, we could have uh, somebody come up and do a belly roll or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lipstick on their belly button and sing a song, and you could go out and do It's a Great Day to Kick Somebody's That's right. Ass. That's right. I want to I would, I would, I see that show one of these days. Yeah, if I ever, yeah, that's what I want to do at some point. That's good. <laughs> so best I can, I try to make it a variety show. Yeah, and I think it makes it, it, makes it more entertaining, and it's, I think it just makes it more genuine. I've seen... I saw a Canadian singer, I'm not going to say her name, a few months ago. I love her voice, played the Rio down the street. And my friend noticed after a while, he goes, every song's in 6-8 time. It was like the same, this yeah. exact same tempo for an hour. And after a while, it was, it was a little boring. I mean, technically yeah, it was yeah. really good, but, you know, like you say, you, you vary it. And you, you talk to the audience, you do a funny song, a serious song. And yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't have the answers for everything. But when you get in front of people who paid $20 or whatever to get out of their existence and forget about their moment, you know, what they're going through in their life, they want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. They don't want to sit, sit there and listen to you, you know, gripe and moan and yeah. sing about, you know, you know, all sad stuff and somber. You know, there's a time for that, but sure. take them on, a, take them on an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And, uh, but in the end, make them happy. Right. Take them down, bring them back. Yeah. yeah. Give them some. Talk about the problems, but show them a little light at the end of the tunnel. Right. So you're not a, a navel-gazing folk singer doing a bunch of bummer songs for an hour. No, no yeah. to me, there's nothing more pretentious than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last question. I know you've been on the road and you want to rest, and they're, oh, doing, so they're, they're setting up gear. Um, as far as this is actually a songwriting podcast where I'm talking to songwriters, do you write every day? Do you just keep a notebook on you and write down things? Or do you, do you I just keep, once in a while just sit down and do it, say it's time to do a song? No, I keep a notebook with me and as I'm traveling. I'll hear something that sounds like a good idea or a good thought, and I'll write that little thought down. And I'll just keep doing that, and then after a while, I'll go back through all the ideas I wrote down and sort of, yeah. after I've lived with them a yeah. little bit, and figure out, well, this one might be worth revisiting. 
And uh, mainly I spend most of my time waiting on a good idea. Because mm -hmm. once you get a good idea it'll, and, you, and you have the chops and, the, and know how to put a song together, you can do it right. easy then. But, you know, you know, like Chris Christopherson, he can't write uh, Help Me Make It Through the Night every single day. Right. Because that I, that had that came from a lonely night he probably uh -huh. experienced, you know. Yeah. And so I gotta go. I gotta experience things and, and grow spiritually. It's corny as that sounds, but when I when I grow spiritually and learn new things, I, I got new things to write about and I got new perspectives. You know? And it's a it's a it's a fun cycle. It you know? is. It's just an editing thing, knowing what's worth fooling with and what ain't. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think it's a matter of, you know, writing all the ideas down and even writing down the ones that might be good, not be good, just to, just to keep that process going. And once yeah. in a while, you, mm -hmm. you get, a, like you said, waiting on a good idea, and you get that one, and, okay, I'll work on yeah. this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I used to write lots of songs about relationships and girls and all that. Stuff. And I still do, but I write about it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm a 42-year-old man with, with two kids. Oh, you have two kids now. Yeah. You, have a, you have a daughter? and a, I have a daughter, two daughters. I have oh, okay. a 14-year-old and a 3-year-old. Oh, gosh. And so I got There's a whole some songwriting fun. Yeah, there, I got a whole different thing to work to, to you know, to talk about and write about. Yeah. And uh, my audience is not kids. Right. It's people who... It's my audience are people that's got kids, lived a little uh, bit, lived a little bit, not necessarily have kids, but just lived a little right. bit, yeah. And uh, people that don't watch American Idol, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. people. I'd much, I'd much rather watch you here than watch American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's, I don't have nothing necessarily against American Idol. I just I hate that the public's being given a false perception of what being an artist mm -hmm. is. Yeah. You know, and uh, I have people to say to me all the time, "How come you don't get on American Idol?" And I just say, "Cause I don't want to be on American yeah. Idol." And they can't yeah. understand that. And say, "What do you mean you don't want to?" I just don't. Yeah. You know, I was on tour with the. I only did one mainstream. Well, I've done a lot of mainstream tours, but I did a tour opening up for Toby Keith. Oh right, right. Country singer, which I wouldn't do again. No disrespect to him, but. Uh, was it too big, too much? Just it's a um, the mainstream audience in that world. They don't when they go to a show. They don't go to hear a song. They go to see somebody they saw on TV. Okay. It's all about seeing somebody famous, and the, what they're singing doesn't even matter because they scream through the whole set anyway. Right. They just pit, pump their fists in there. Especially when the hits come like, along. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'm most proud of in my life is Toby Keith came to me somewhere during our tour and he said that uh, I had it. Well, I was in, at the time I was in a little record deal and I had about six more months and it was over. And he goes, Listen, when you get out of your record deal in six months, I'd like to put you on this big label and put this, mm. put your record out and everything. And one of the things I'm most proud of is that at the end of my deal, I never called him. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to be part of it. Yeah. I, well, I just I saw how I, saw, I I can't go too much into it right now. But I just saw the ugly side of the mm -hmm. entertainment business, right? And I saw some of the things that people do to be that famous, and it's just you really have to sell your soul to the devil, man. Yeah, yeah it's just and you, and you have to be willing to just stomp on somebody 
and, and look them right in the face while you're doing it. I can't do that. I can't see you doing that. I can't. <laughs> you have to just be cold hearted and mean, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, and here you're getting people that really just want to come and hear the songs. Yeah, they, they don't want to come and hoot and hot. Well, they, And you could actually have plate spinners out here, and the people mm-hmm. in your crowd would probably be okay with it. Yeah, I'd love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, I had a woman come up. I had a. A woman about 60 years old come up and give me a lap dance on the stage the other night, <laughs> and uh, and I was uh, but I felt good because I felt like she got set free. You know? Yeah. <laughs> she was sitting in she was sitting in the chair all night, wanting to have fun, and then the very end of the night she got up and gave me a lap dance <laughs> while I on stage and had made a, and had a wonderful time. That's she cool. had a good time and I enjoyed it too. Which you probably never seen at a Toby Keith concert. A sixty-year-old woman giving you. <laughs> well, see, the difference is at a Toby Keith show, if a sixty-year-old woman came up and to give somebody a laugh, they laughing. Right. In my show, they know they want to give me a laugh. So I was no, it was it was it was cool. It was genuine. It Everybody was, had a good yeah, time. It's, yeah. it's all done in a good spirit, spirit of love. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, they're they're actually setting the drums up now, so we're gonna we're gonna probably cut this. I'm gonna wish uh, you a good show, a two good shows tonight. Well, thank you. And I appreciate, appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Did I mention they were doing sound check during the interview about ten feet away? We tried to keep going, but the drums finally kicked us out. But, uh, so that was it. That was Songs and Stories number twelve, the Paul Thorne interview. I hope you liked it. It was a lot of fun hanging out and talking to Paul few things I wanted to mention is um, I didn't talk about Paul's artwork. Paul's a pretty gifted artist, and I'll put a link to his site on the notes for this page under podcast number 12. So if you want, go to my site, michaelgaither.com, and there'll be a link to his gallery page. And if you're at michaelgaither.com, have a look around. Besides Songs and Stories number 12, the Paul Thorne interview, there are other podcasts, some are interviews, some pick apart my own songs. There are also links to my own CD, Spotted Mule and Other Tales, which is an Americana collection of story songs. And um, there are videos and audio clips and lots of things to look at. I always say that I, I spend a ridiculous amount of time maintaining my site, so if you're there, have a look around. You can waste lots of time. Also, one last thing, if you're in the Santa Cruz or Monterey Bay area, my band, the Michael Gaither Band, will be at Bocce Cellar in Santa Cruz on Monday, August 27th. We'd love to see you. We're playing from 8 to 11, and if you want more information about that, you can go to michaelgaither.com, click on Shows, and there's directions and more information there as well. So again, thanks for listening to Songs and Stories number 12. This is Michael Gaither, and if you have any comments about this podcast, you can leave it under the podcast notes by clicking on the Add Comment button on my site, or just send me an email, michael at michaelgaither.com. <laughs>